0: all
1: right ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another podcast on me on edge today we are joined once again by oscar my co-host over there in america how's it going
0: it's going excellent it's the holiday season and there's no better time of year and honestly i'm just very grateful for the great year the usc gave us they had their highest total pay-per-view buys ever and they closed the year off in style both in pay-per-view and with their fight night event. And we're going to review those two events. I know we did not have a podcast last week, get some prior commitments, but we're going to have some fun this episode because we had two fantastic cards full of finishes, full of upsets. And yeah, we'll dive right into it. The main event of UFC 269 was Charles Oliver versus Dustin Poirier. Charles Oliver was the underdog heading into the fight. And we saw the upset there. Charles Oliveira got a third round submission on Dustin Poirier. And he did it very impressively. A lot of people, including myself, thought Dustin Poirier would find that knockout eventually. And Dustin Poirier was definitely ahead on the stand in the first round. In fact, he did score a knockdown, had Charles Oliveira hurt. But Charles Oliveira is kind of rewriting his reputation in a way with the fans. Because now he's bouncing back from beatings and getting these finishes against high-level competition. So Charles Oliver, in my book, is definitely the rifle champion now. I was a little iffy heading into this one because the only reason the Oliver versus Chandler fight was made was because Dustin Poirier said no. So I was a little iffy. I was thinking Dustin was the uncrowned champ. No. Now we have Oliver as the rifle champion. He really proved himself. And, man, this guy... I'm not going to question his heart in the same way ever again after this, honestly, because Dustin really challenged him early but the thing with Charles man he has such a dangerous ground game so dangerous that in the second round when Charles was able to get on top Dustin Poirier decided to sit on his back and just get that body triangle because Dustin refused to give up his back he would take all the elbows all the punishment from Charles just to not get his back taken that shows you how much it was in Dustin's head that Charles could snatch a submission, snatch up a submission at any time. And in that next round, he did it anyway. That's just how good Charles Oliver is. How impressed are you by, by Charles in his first title defense?
1: Well, as you were saying there, you know, uh, in the past, Oliver has been a guy that being able to take shots and not being able to recover and, you know, getting finished. Uh, we saw him against uh, Paul, a Paul Felder, you know, virtually quitting after taking them elbows. And now we are, now we're looking at a guy in Charles Oliveira who's taking shots and coming back and winning the fight. It's crazy, uh, as we've seen here. He once again he got dropped, came back and won the fight. This guy is—he's he's a changed man. It's he's incredible. Uh, once upon a time he took shots and couldn't get back into the fight, and now he's taking shots and winning, winning belts, defending his belts. Uh, he beat Chandler now, beat Dustin Poirier, one of the best boxers inside that lightweight division, and he—and he's held holding his own as well in the stand-up. He was looking good, and uh, as you mentioned, then you know Dustin Poirier held him just on that body triangle for two minutes. So almost, almost a full round because he knows how dangerous Charles Oliveira is. But that also shows, you know, the, the maturity of Dustin Poirier from where he came from in um, that loss to uh, Habib Nurmagomedov. He said that he tried to get out of the position. Therefore he lost the fight. So this time around, he said, I want to, I, I want to, if I'm in a bad position, I'm just going to see it out, lose the round instead of losing the fight. And uh, this is, that's what we saw with Dustin Poirier. He, try, he decided to lose the round and try and potentially win the fight in the later rounds. But, Charles Oliveira man he he is the true champion as you mentioned. He uh you fought us before he was the young crown champion, I fought it too. And Charles Oliveira, man. This guy's incredible. We can never ever down again.
0: Yeah, Charles Oliveira has a thrilling matchup in his future, most likely in May, in Brazil, apparently, against Justin Gaethje. And I believe that fight is gonna be absolute fireworks. I guarantee we will not see a third round in that fight. That fight. That fight is so exciting on paper, honestly, and I'm so, I'm so split on the pick, honestly, because we've seen uh, that Justin Gaethje's submission defense is not the best, but also we've seen that Oliver's chin is not necessarily the best either. And Gaethje, uh, as that's Habib so said, Habib, he's he's taken some punches from hard hitters in his day, and he said Gaethje is the hardest hitter of them all. So that's a big compliment from him and. Charles Lee's one of those bonds, who knows what happens. So that's, but it that's recently, an interesting matchup, man.
1: Yeah, it did recently come out that Charles Olivera said that he would like Conor McGregor actually next, which is
0: it's uh, of course he's chasing he does. it. He's who chasing would, it. Want it. I, I'm yeah. sure I'm sure everybody in the division wants that fight because of the of the payday and the attention that comes with it. But uh yeah, I don't see it happening unless we see some kind of short notice situation. And regardless, uh I don't think the timelines match up. If you remember uh, when Connor got injured, uh, the timeline was 12 months, and that's what it should be uh, because if not, he may be coming back too quick and compromising uh, peak performance. So I don't think the timelines match up. And, uh, yeah, I think Gaethje Gaethje has more than earned it. My goodness. You want to talk about uh, pain in blood? That's what he did with Michael Chandler, so. I think that's that's the fight to look forward to. And another fight to look forward to is the rematch between Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunes. This was arguably the biggest upset in UFC history, uh, at least in the women's division's biggest upset in UFC history. Juliana Pena got the second round submission on Amanda Nunes. We completely wrote out Pena on this podcast. We said, sure, Pena has a very slight chance but let's be honest here it's gonna be all about how amanda performs at this weight class after spending uh, a good amount of time at featherweight and amanda nunez in that first round looked pretty good looked pretty good What wasn't super dominant but she definitely took the first round come the second round we see amanda nunez do something that has worked for her in the past she looks to force the knockout. But the problem is, Juliana Pena has one of the best chains in women's MMA history. She took all of those shots and Amanda Nunez was not respecting the firepower that was coming back at her. And before she knew it, not only were her arms completely done, she was gassed and she was getting stinged bad by that jab. That jab had Nunez in all kinds of trouble. She was, she was, rocked bad and cast and that left Juliana Pena to do what she does, does best. She got the takedown and it was very clear to me that Nuñez had gotten the fight beaten out of her. Uh I'm telling you guys, being tired will make anybody a coward and Julianna Pena easily got that submission on her. I guess we'll call it a rare naked choke but uh you know not the most traditional rare naked choke and Amanda just just quit. She tapped on the mat. And the first, my first reaction was putting my hands on my head and screaming at the TV, How? Because this was, in my opinion, this is just Amanda Nunes having terrible fight IQ. I feel like she still could have won this fight, but she just fought with a terrible mindset. And it's very obvious to me that she did not rate Julianne pena's heart and uh durability highly otherwise she wouldn't have forced that knockout so i believe come the rematch if nunez paces herself if she has the right mindset i believe she definitely wins her belt back but if she's not we know for a fact that Julianne pena can give her a very tough night
1: well that's it you put a nail on the head there what, what... Lost Amanda Nunes uh, her belt this night was the respect she didn't give Julia Pena enough respect in this fight, and she thought that she would be able to run through Julia Pena. And Julia Pena said it from day dot, I can take the shots and I can come back and I can get her tired. And this is what we saw in this fight. It was it was phenomenal because I never thought in in a, a different universe that we'd see Amanda Nunes like this as well. In that second round, she was getting beaten to the punch as you mentioned. Julia Pena was putting her hands on her. And it was affecting Nunez. It was incredible. I don't know what I was witnessing. It was, honestly, I could not believe my eyes. And uh, uh, that was the story of the fight. It's just Amanda Nunez just did not respect Julio Pena. Didn't respect her power. Didn't expect her to be able to take the shots from Amanda Nunez. And as you mentioned, come the second of the rematch, I think Nunez will come in a different mindset. She'll come in hungry because now she's the challenger. She's not the champion no more. She's not the double champ. She'll come in, she'll come in hungry and she's going to go back to the basics. And I believe she's going to time herself uh, to perfection and uh, she, she would definitely learn from this fight uh, but yes as you mentioned the fight IQ for Amanda Nunes in this one was horrible.
0: Yeah absolutely uh, I honestly don't know if it was a strength and conditioning issue I simply think it was a pacing issue she was fighting at a relentless pace and uh she would in her mind she was sure that she was going to get that KO and when it didn't happen she had nothing left. And it was kind of a, a moment where her ugly past creeped to back up on her. This is not a new thing for Amanda. Um, before she was, you know, the women's MMA goat. This would happen to her. She would try to get the finish and just get tired, and she would get broken. Zenganu did it. Um, Alexis Davis did it. It's not new for Amanda. And uh, I honestly kind of thought that was, you know, in her past, but it happened here again. So, yeah, I. Uh, After this fight, I truly believe that nobody beats anybody 10 out of 10 times. That's just my take. After this fight, you got to give the underdog respect in pretty much any scenario. So, yeah, this was one of my most shocking moments watching MMA ever. I I simply, honestly, I did not believe it until I saw Julianna Pena in the flesh. I actually was at a professional wrestling show uh, at SmackDown. And it was in Chicago. Juliana Pena is Chicago's finest. She was there in the front row with her UFC Bantamweight Championship. And she kept on holding up. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, I forgot. She's actually the champion. So, yeah, that's when I actually came to terms with it. And I really look forward to the rematch. And hopefully it's in Brazil as well. Because, you know, Amanda has not fought in Brazil in a long time. I'm sure her star power has grown since, her, uh, since the last time she fought there. So that would be really fun. And uh, we'll move on.
1: Not, not just yet. Not just yet. <laughs> uh, ju- I want to quickly tap on uh, uh, what you were just saying, uh, but I also feel like this is good for Amanda Nunez because when we were looking at divisions at the featherweight and the bantamweight, there weren't many two contenders. And uh, uh, she was fighting Julia Pena, who was on a one-fight win streak. Which, if that wasn't any other division, you know, it w- would rarely happen. Is that like she actually fought Julia Pena because there was there was no one else. There was no one else there, and Julia Pena won this fight. And that, this is good because it kind of helps the division, you know, catch back up again, uh, new contenders to rise up again. So by the time this time next year, you know, there's going to be three or four different contenders, I hope.
0: Yeah, I truly hope uh, Raquel Pennington, who is on this card. Maybe yeah. she gets another crack at Amanda. Uh, Aspen Ladd is in the mix. Misha Tate, who knows, with a win, she could be there. Kevin Bear, there's there's a good amount of contenders. I think the, the best among them is Carol Hossa, but we'll talk about that on some other card. And we'll move on to Jeff Neal's split division win over Santiago Panzanibio. This was uh, a pretty good performance from Jeff Neal, bouncing back after two losses. And he was finding a guy in Santiago Ponzinibbio who uh, also was uh, looking to continue to rise in this division after his win over Miguel Baez. But it's very clear to me that Santiago's not the fighter that he once was after that long layoff. And uh, Jeff Neal took advantage of it. But uh, I'm very surprised that Jeff Neal didn't get that knockout here. Uh, But it it was never very clear that he was actually looking for it. But, uh, yeah, uh, this card was so crazy. We kicked it off. The main card had two chaos to kick it off. So I don't feel like this fight got the appreciation appreciation it deserved because it was such a wild card. But, yeah, it was was a solid fight. Good performance for Jeff Neal. And uh, another thing for people to know, the guy did get pulled over for uh, driving while under the influence. But it, it didn't mean that automatically his skills were gone. I, I simply think Jeff Neal was good enough to win this, even if his camp didn't go the smoothest. And that's what he did out there.
1: Yeah, I'm certain, I agree with you. Uh, definitely in terms of uh, like a Santiago Positinario, definitely not the fight that he used to be. Before that big break, what, what was he on? Like a nine, eight fight win streak? Seven. You know, Yeah,
0: with a KO Seven. over Neil Magny in the fourth round yeah. of capital.
1: See, if Neil Magny and Santiago Posnero had a rematch now, I'd probably be favouring towards Neil Magni. It's, it's crazy how this MMA works, you know. That long layoff definitely, you know, it hurt his career, and you uh, know he's paying the price for it. Uh, you just want to see him get, you know, get some fights and get more regular, and just maybe maybe have a chance to be able to uh, run to the top again. But th- the thing is, uh, with that and taking a t- long time, he's he's getting older. He's that like, he's thirty four, thirty five years old, so. Uh, there's not, not 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 long left for Santiago, uh, but Jeff, you now as you mentioned, uh, his uh, it, uh, yes, he did get arrested, uh, but as you mentioned, he didn't lose his skills. Uh, I did choose against him because I just didn't know where his head was at and uh, w- was he fully concentrated on this fight? Because I remember, I think it was after the Thompson fight, his last fight, he said he wanted to take some time off, and then he, he, he jumped into this fight. I thought it was a little bit quick for him, but uh, you know, is uh, you know, he got the job done. He did what he needed to do, and he, uh, his leg kicks definitely look uh, very well. Both their leg kicks. Uh, Definitely good.
0: Yeah, 100%. We'll move on to a fantastic knockout from Kaikar France. And this was kind of a sad one because he knocked out Cody Garbrandt. And Cody Garbrandt was on top of the world at the conclusion of 2016. He dominated Dominic Cruz. And since then, it's just not not been a great run for him. Only one win since 2017. And uh, four of his five wins have been via knockout. And we're not talking little TKLs. These, these are fights where he's going out cold. It's really sad to see, especially from a guy that's just 30. We're, we're in a spot now where we're thinking retirement is an option here because that's the kind of damage that he's absorbing at this point. But we're not going to take anything away from Kai Kaikar France. Kaikar France showed that you can't just go down as a band weight to flyweight and try to bully them around with your bigger friend. That's simply not happening. Kaikar France had the quicker hands here, and Cody Garbrandt's entire style is been built around having the quicker hands, so when he was outgunned in terms of speed, Kaikar France found the mark, and he found it quickly, and got a spectacular KO, and now I think he's in a position where he can he can be one fight away from a title shot, and maybe the rematch with Brandon Moreno.
1: Yeah, I percent agree with you of uh, Kaikar France. Definitely one fight away uh, to getting that title shot, but I think it's him versus Askar uh, Askarov. I think that's, that's the number one title that's fight. That's uh,
0: actually called him out on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. That, that's that's I, a phenomenal I, fight. Kaikar France Francis, he's not fighting again until he gets a title shot. And Dana laughed that off at the press conference. I like Kaikar France Francis, some big star, or anything like that. So I think that fight makes all the sense in the world.
1: Yeah. Well, I, well, going back to this fight, when, when, I, when I heard that uh, Cody Garbrandt was going down to 125 pounds, and originally his debut was meant to be against Davison Vigedo, I thought, oh man, he's, he's in for a bad, bad night. And seeing what happened in this fight, we we never want to see that fight now. We, we, we know what would have happened. Uh, Davison oh, yeah. Vigedo would have put him out bad. And uh, Ta- Kaiko France put him out bad in this one too. So it was a picture-perfect right hand over top as well. Uh, and then uh, just him getting the bonus as well. That was so good. But you know you gotta feel bad for Cody Garbrandt. You know when when he was fighting TJ, you know he was on top of the world. Um, the loss to TJ, and then his performance against Dominic Cruz will go down in history as one of the best title performances I've I've ever seen. And from going from there to here, it's just it's just mad how MMA works.
0: Yeah, and Dominic Cruz is actually in a better spot than Cody is right now. We'll talk about that later on the card. But uh, if I'm Cody Garbrandt. Do I
1: stay at one hundred twenty-five? What do you think? Well, if I'm Cody Garbrandt, then, you know he, he what he has probably has a better position at one hundred twenty-five pounds to try and maybe go for a title shot. Uh, for the, for the weight cut, he looked good. He looked good at one hundred twenty-five pounds stepping on the weight uh, the scales. Uh, but it's just going down in weight is with demil- the like, he had a bad chin at one hundred forty-five pounds, and he's gone down, and it just I just don't see it getting any better for him in any division, to be honest. Uh, so he's in a bit of a weird position. If he goes up, I don't think he can win the belt. If he stays there, I just don't think he can win the belt. It, I, if I'm Cody Garbrandt, I'm as you mentioned, he's uh, he's been knocked out quite a few times. I'm probably maybe comfortable in, uh, hanging
0: up, yeah, that, that's that's for sure. Um, yeah, really unfortunate situation for Cody. And now we're going to talk about his rival, Sugar Sean O'Malley, passed the Hallie and Paiva test with flying colors. Hallie and Paiva, is a high-level fighter, legitimately a high-level fighter. He has a 20, uh, twenty and five record, and he was fighting Sugarshana O'Malley, who, let's be honest, not fighting the cream of the crop in his last couple fights. And I was thinking Holly and Pilot would give him some of, somewhat of a tough fight here, because we know for a fact that Holly and Pavel has real grit, and he'll take the big shots and fire them right back. But the problem was Sugarshana was just way too accurate. And once he stung Holly and Pava, I had a feeling that it was over because Sugar Sean, when he smells blood, he starts firing off those combos and starts going for fancy knockouts. And more often than not, he finds the mark and puts you out. And that's what he did Holly and Paiva here. Holly and Pava was panic wrestling and just simply didn't work. Could not be more impressed with Sugar Sean O'Malley. And now he can no longer say he's the unranked champ because now he's ranked at number 13, if I'm not mistaken. So. Sugar Sean is going to definitely get a step up in competition after that. How will he fare against that competition? We'll see, but for now we can definitely say that Sugar Sean is beyond those unranked guys and he definitely um he definitely has earned his spot in the top fifteen.
1: Yeah, 100% uh, enough of the unranked fighting now. I think Sugar Sean needs to uh, climb his way up in the ladder and start, you know, Fighting, you know, these top tens uh, and top fives. I think he will do. I think he will definitely take t- take up another step up the competition. I think it will be smart though. It won't be, you know, an outrageous one. It will be someone like Frankie Edgar or Dominic Cruz, uh, uh, an older, aging fighter that he he's he can beat. um but Nonetheless, uh, you know, he's uh, he's exciting. And as you mentioned, when he gets you hurt, he puts you out. He doesn't let you recover. He doesn't let you recover. He, he's too quick. He's too sharp. He, he, his accuracy is incredible the way he, and his, how he picks his shots as well is ridiculous he could do it all he you know he has the kicks he has the punches uh the combos he has everything uh we just need someone a, a wrestler a little wrestler called frankie edgar to test it
0: yeah or ricky simone there's so, there's so many there options go. out there um i actually personally think that the best test for sugar O'Malley is pedro munoz pedro munoz Ooh. he actually got it he got a first round off of dominic cruz and Pedro Munoz
1: can take a shot
0: last two, but we're talking about two of the greatest fighters of all time. He lost mm-hmm. two in his last two. And Jose Aldo and Dominic Cruz. Yeah, wow. One of the big, one of the big uh, things about sugar is he's got those fragile legs. And what is Pedro Munoz? One of the best of he's one of the best calf kickers. So, but here's the thing with Pedro as well. He's also the most hitable guy in the division. And sugar is the most accurate in the division so it's going to be uh a tremendous battle can pedro munoz finish sugar sean before sugar sean banks those rounds and uh yeah i think that would be a really fun fight to book honestly and i think it kind of makes sense he guy gotten sugar sean on a winning streak and pedro even though he's top 10 he's on a skid i think i think that would be a really fun fight to book but we we have so many car, uh, fights to go through on this card We'll we'll talk about the main event of the prelims now. Josh Emmett getting a unanimous decision over Dan Ige. This fight was kind of what I was thinking it, it would go like. Josh Emmett simply had uh, a big power edge in this one. And uh, Dan Ige couldn't really use his wrestling much in this one because Josh Emmett is a phenomenal wrestler either. But you, re- you really wouldn't know it because Josh Emmett is kind of a Michael Chandler at heart where... Even though he's got the wrestling, he really won't use it because he wants to entertain the fans with his big power. And that's what he did here. The first punch he lands in the entire fight, knocked down immediately. That's a different kind of power. Danny is one of the most durable guys in the division. And uh, Josh Emmett, with one punch, put him on his butt. That's very impressive. And um, Josh Emmett had more volume than usual in this fight. And I think that definitely... uh, went a long way, and even though Dan did get one round off of him, I thought it was a very clear win for Josh Emmer.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it was a clear win as well. Uh, definitely two rounds to one, and as you mentioned there, his first punch in that fight just knocking Dan down, and as you mentioned, Dan can take a shot. He's one of the most durable guys that we have in this February division, and uh, Josh Emmer proven why He's known to be in one of the hardest hitters in the 145 pound division. You know, I'd love to see your future matchups with Josh Emmett. You know, he, he's on a good run now. He beat he beat Shane Burgos. Um, now he's beat Danny Ige. Um I'd like a little bit of a step up. You know, another step up as well. I'm thinking Yair Rodriguez next for Josh Emmett.
0: Man, the featherweight division is one of the most exciting divisions in the whole UFC. Honestly, you can just uh, put a blindfold over your eyes and just pick a random, Throw it division, up. and you'll probably have a fun a fun fight on your hands. But uh, the fight that I personally picked for him is the loser of Calvin Cater versus Giga Chikadze Because uh, Josh Emmett, I feel like he's at a spot where he really wants to get bigger names. Because don't forget, Josh Emmett is over 35. He's 36 now. So I think it's kind of a now or never spot for Josh Emmett, especially at 145, to try to go on that title line name. Uh Even, even though uh, the Cater versus Chikaze fight, uh, even though even though somebody's going to win that fight, the loser – I don't think they'll be in the worst spot. Both guys are such talented fighters that I think, uh, I think that Josh Hammett could benefit over a win, even over the loser that fight. But yeah, by the way, it's so much fun, so much fun. And we'll move on to the best division in the entire sport. In my opinion, the bandweight division. And in my opinion, the greatest fighter to ever grace that division, Dominic Cruz defeated Pedro Munoz by unanimous decision. And, uh, as John Anik said it, this was vintage Cruz out there. In the first round, sure, he got rocked. And he didn't even know it. That's how bad he got rocked. But come those last two uh those two rounds, Pedro Munoz, as I said, the most headable guy in the, in the division, honestly did not get his calf kicks uh going as much as I thought he would. So Dominic Cruz was moving as as well as he ever did, and he was tagging Pedro. And this was a really fun fight, and that's why I got the fight of the night. And usually on a card where there's this many finishes, the UFC will just not give out a fight of the night. But they gave out eight bonuses on this card, and this was the fight of the night. That shows you just how good this fight was. And, yeah, Dominic Cruz, in my opinion, uh, definitely can get in the title mix pretty soon if he keeps on putting performances on like this because – I kind of thought this version of Dominic Cruz was going to be left in the past, but we saw him make a comeback here and I'm very impressed with what he did out there.
1: Yeah, I was impressed too. And I feel like this shows us a glimmer of hope as well uh, for Dominic Cruz that, you know, he maybe could take up and, you know, get enough a run at the title. Nothing would please me more to see maybe Dominic Cruz lift that belt one more time. I'd love to see it happen. Yeah, as, you, as you mentioned, one of the legends inside the division, if not one of the greatest, uh, if the greatest in the Bannerway division. Uh, there's some definitely some names up there that he's definitely contending with. But Dominic Cruz looked at his old self in this fight and it looked phenomenal to see him watch and li- just see him flow. When Dominic Cruz is in a flowing state, I feel like nobody could beat him. He, he, when he's flowing, getting it all together, I feel like you can't touch him. He's touching you and you just can't seem to get anywhere near him. Because Dominic Cruz goes in and then that's it. He's out. You throw and he's gone. He's he's either five yards to the left. He, he, he skips and he's gone. You know, Cruz is probably the best fighter I've ever seen him mixed martial arts. again, in and out. His his footwork, his movement is just second to none. Uh, I, I've never seen anything like it. You know, hit like what's the what's that saying from uh, Muhammad Ali? Um, hit like a
0: butterfly sting, sting like a la- bee.
1: There we go, that's the one. That that's what Dominic Cruz does to perfection. He, he he's mastered the skill of that. And uh Move he like definitely
0: like beat.
1: Th- there we go. That's the one. He's mastered that uh that that saying right there, and he's a, he's done it for perfection in this fight. Uh, and as you mentioned, some some adversity in the first round. But and uh, we we heard him in the post fight interview, he said, I thought I slipped, so that tells you where I was at, which which was incredible because he did get caught clean, he did get dropped. And uh I, I was also happy to see Him recover and go on to win because if 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 we did see that Henry Cejudo fight go a little bit longer, I'm just saying it might have been a different it might have been a different story. But I don't know who knows.
0: Yeah, well, we'll never know. Uh, Henry Cejudo says he's open to that rematch, and we're seeing Henry post pictures with Davis and Figueroa. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's he's in that training room way too much to not be looking to be an active fighter at this point. So. Yep. Um I'm very pumped for that Henry Cejudo comeback hopefully in 2022. And uh we'll move don't, on. Don't
1: get, he he's a big star. He is a big star. If
0: if Cejudo could definitely, you know, main event a pay-per-view.
1: He, he's kind of he's, he's big star.
0: He's already done it. He's already done yeah. it against Rice. I think uh he's a dependable guy um and 100%. If you want to talk about dependable Tu Yavasa post-fight celebrations are all, always dependable to <laughs> be fun. Tu Iwasa i honestly did not expect him to win this fight because uh augusta sakai uh except for the fact that his chin is not the greatest is kind of tailor-made to beat tied to Yubasa in my opinion but uh i feel like augusta really had an off night here and he kind of feared the two yabasa power it's very clear he kept on backing up and uh tied to never looked better his technique is getting better i feel like he's kind of got that had to learn on the job and uh he was fighting horrible competition. Let's be honest. When he started the UFC, he was beating guys like Cheryl Asker, guys who just Russian uh, really low-level guys. And now he, this is Augusto Sakai, who is number eleven heading into this, and he steamrolls him. He dominates the first round. Come the second round, he lands the clean shots, and Sakai just folds back like a like a lawn chair, and he's completely out. That's so impressive from Tatyana. And um, Tatu Iwasa is now in a four-fight KO streak. That's very hard to do in the UFC, especially in the heavyweight division where one punch can change it all. So Tatu Iwasa has never looked better. He's in a really great spot here where I think the UFC will keep on featuring him uh, on these big pay-per-view cards. And, yeah, he's always a good time. Nothing but good things to say about his performance here.
1: Yeah, you mentioned there that Tattoo boss, you know, had to learn on the job. And that's because he, he never had an amateur career. He just went straight into the pros and started banging it out. He had kickboxing experience. He did a little bit of kickboxing uh, fights back and then. But he, he never had an amateur MMA career. So, as you mentioned, he had to learn on the job. And he had to fight these bad guys. And then now, he, when he got to the good guys, and when he wasn't ready, you know, he, 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 did, he, he just wasn't ready and he, he got beat. But now, I feel like if he came up against them same guys... And where he is right now, I feel like it could be a different story. I
0: think I feel like he would beat JDS, uh, and he would be, um, who did who else did he loses? Uh, he lost to uh, Blago, even up. Uh, I don't know if he beat Blago, Blago was a really good wrestler, but yeah, I think losses certainly made improvements. I, it was a point in Ty's career where I actually picked Stefan Struve to beat him, and Stefan Struve, you know, really bad chin, but decent ground game, and yeah. It appears Tachi Vasa is really starting to put it all together, and uh, he's on a tremendous run here. And you want—he's
1: in a good position as well, and you know he's got some phenomenal matches in front of him. And possibly one I'd love to see him face next is one we're about to talk about later.
0: Ooh, that's that's interesting. Uh, my personal pick is Marching Tyburra, but mine one was Chris Dorcas. Wow, that, I think that one might be even better, honestly. But yeah. We'll move on to somebody else who is on a KO streak. Somebody who just got booked to fight. Alex
1: oh, man. Oh, him. man.
0: Cannot wait for that one. We're not seeing a final bell on that one. I guarantee it. And he knocked out Jordan Wright. He knocked him out in the first round very early. As we both predicted, we both know Jordan Wright can't eat a punch. And he's such good as gracious that the candy fight. It's, it's just so disgraceful that somebody actually made it to the UFC doing that. And Bruno Silva treated him like he should have. But I gave Jordan Wright his credit here. He actually was giving Bruno a tough fight early, landing those knees in a clinch. I was thinking, man, maybe Jordan Wright is going to give Bruno a tough fight than I thought. But one punch, and uh, Jordan Wright is on wobbly legs, and that ground pound was vicious. And uh, Bruno closed out the show, as he's done in his first two UFC outings. He's on a tremendous streak, and now he got... Maybe one of the biggest step ups in competition in UFC history, Jordan Wright to Alex Bejeda, is insane, honestly. But, uh, yeah, that's a, that's what happens when you're in the UFC, you got to fight the best. Bruno Silva is fighting the very best, and uh, yeah, but a fight play.
1: that I see him having success in against Alex Pereira, you know, it, this is the uh, mixed martial arts striking, and you know, this, this could go any way, but. Yeah, that's a fantastic fight that I can't wait to speak about. Uh, but we got a long time for that to speak. I think that's what March
0: twelfth. Uh, I don't have the exact date, but I'm pretty sure it's around that time. Yeah, uh, but yeah, you you have. I have to commend Bruno Silva's activity. This guy fights mm-hmm. every three months, it seems. Um, so yeah, Bruno Silva. If he gets that win, we're we're, wow. we're talking rank guys after that. But I yeah. don't think he will. We'll
1: yeah, on. I mean, I feel like Pereira needs to get the the step up a condition quick because he's not got long left in his in his career because he's old. He's, you know, I think like he's, I think mean, he's 36, 35, So he needs to get to the title very quick if he wants to face Izzy.
0: One hundred percent. And we'll move on to somebody else who got a finish on the card in the first round. Andre Munez got the first round bar on Eric Anders. This is the same exact submission he used to beat chakra. I don't know why people were picking Eric Anders out here. Andre Munez, you can bet on him to submit pretty much anybody if he goes out there and breaks Jaccareiro's arm. That's what he did out. He pretty much bullied Eric Anders down the ground and got that arm bar. And Eric Anders had never been submitted before this and Andre Andre Munez went out and did. Andre Munez is uh the most dangerous guy on the ground in this division if you ask me. So uh I think a fight down the line that, I, that just popped in my head to watch would be Munez versus Hamza Chamayev. That would be a thrill to watch, quite honestly. But, yeah, Andre Muniz is on a great run here. I believe he was ranked for a little bit, but he got kicked out by somebody. But uh, let, let's let give Andre Muniz a ranked opponent. I say why not give him um, a guy on the outskirts of the top 10, a guy in a similar spot as him. I say put him there with an acidine.
1: I like that. I like that. That's a great matchup. Uh, but talk about this fight is uh, I, I think when we were talking about uh, in previous episodes, I said, it's a complete mismatch. I, I didn't want to see this fight go down is because Andrew Muniz thought Jack Ray Sosa submitted him. I thought Eric Anders was not a forward push for Muniz to go to the, you know, the rank guys. I thought Muniz and uh, Eric Anders were in a different trajectory. Uh, I see Muniz heading towards that title and uh, towards them ranked guys. And I saw uh, you know, Eric Anders just being in the middle of division. Uh, not being able to beat these good guys. But not you know beating these you know lower level guys. Uh, just being stuck in the middle. Uh, I, I just didn't want to see this fight go down. I, I knew the winner of this fight going into this fight. And Andre Muniz p- proved me right. in the submission armbar, once again, phenomenal. This guy is incredible. If he gets a hold of your limbs, you better
0: get out of there quick. 100%. We'll move on to... Aaron Blanchfield's domination of Miranda Merrick. We on the show, we wrote off Aaron Blanchfield. We just said she was too young. This might have been too much, too quick. But uh we have to remember Miranda is actually pretty young herself. And mm-hmm. Aaron Blanchfield uh, won an Eddie Bravo invitational. Uh she's an absolute monster on the ground. And what's crazier is her corner actually said we need a strike more so. Aaron Blanchfield is is a phenomenal fighter. At just 22 years of age. And I think she's 100% going to find herself in a title shot uh, in the next couple years. And it might even be quicker than that if she dominates her opponents in that manner again. Because she got multiple 10-8 rounds in this fight. And we thought Miranda was definitely going to win the fight. But that wasn't the case. Aaron Blanchfield looked as good as you can look up there.
1: Yeah, we were talking about this and uh, Aaron Blanchfield was meant to take on Macy Barber and then Miranda Maverick stepped in to, uh, for, for this fight. And if I'm Macy Barber, I'm wanting nothing to do with Aaron Blanchfield right now because uh, uh, the same thing will happen to what what happens to Miranda Maverick.
0: 100%. Aaron, Aaron Blanchfield is already one of the best grapplers in this division. It's You know what's even crazier? She doesn't even have 10 pro fights. This is her second UFC fight. And she fought somebody that was uh previously ranked before this and i honestly think she's already going to start fighting ranked opponents and oh, she's yeah. not that far away from a title shot i think honestly that the next step for her would be uh somebody like montana de La rosa
1: yeah i like that uh, i always feel like uh, you know in the women's uh, flyweight division or the women's divisions uh, you know in particular you have to face a veteran to get to the top even we've seen it in heavyweight divisions as well uh i feel like it, Everyone in that flyweight division has to get past Roxanne Modafferi to get to the top, and I feel like uh, if Roxanne Modafferi is facing K- Casey O'Neill, though, so and she's retiring that day as well, so that won't happen.
0: Yeah, now those contenders can rest easy knowing they don't have that test ahead of them. But, so uh, maybe we'll in
1: De La Rosa, that, that's a Montana Delaroso. thats a—that's a smart matchup.
0: We'll move on to Ryan Hall's unanimous decision win over Derek Minner. Uh, Ryan Hall is a phenomenal up. We already knew that heading into this, but. I didn't know Derek Minner would have this big of an edge on the feet. Goodness gracious, Derek Minner was tagging Ryan Ryan Hall with every punch that uh, he landed, it seemed on the feet. But Ryan Hall uh, did Ryan Hall things, and he was using those grand B-rolls, just got him to <laughs> the ground. And yeah. He, he drops to his back. Yeah, even uh, even DC, all the commentators couldn't even tell you what's was going on. That's how advanced Ryan Hall's grappling is bronze medal in the adc of course this guy's just on a different level and i have to give all the respect in the world to Derek minner for somehow not getting submitted Derek minner even though he's a grappler himself has been submitted several times and somehow the guy did not get submitted in this spot it's it's very wild uh that he didn't get submitted but ryan hall looked really impressive out there and uh he faced some serious adversity in this fight and uh, yeah he passed the test this time. Uh, some people thought he would get knocked out here, but he didn't. And uh, he went through the storm, but he got it done.
1: As you mentioned there, Derek Winner not getting submitted by probably the best grappler he's fought, and in his career. He, he's been submitted in previous uh, previously. So if I'm Derek Winner, this is a win. Uh, I'm taking this down as a win. I, I, I'm probably gaining confidence out of this. Even though it is a loss and you did get thirty twenty seven 27 on, on two scorecards. I'm taking this as a win. I'm gaining some confidence and uh, uh, definitely taking it into the next fight and being more comfortable with my grappling defense because you held your home against Ryan Hall. Uh, But as you mentioned, Ryan Hall, just doing the Ryan Hall things and getting the job done, uh, it was phenomenal. Uh, Just watching him roll about and I I can't even explain what he's done. Just doing Ryan Hall things. It was incredible.
0: Yeah. He's always a thriller watching. uh, So is Tony Kelly. He went out there, fought Randy Costa and... Man, the big critique of Randy Costa going in this fight is he's such a he's such a threat in that first round. But come the second round, he's pretty much done. And that was not the case in this fight. He tried to pace himself in the first round, and he was not a threat. Tony Kelly bullied him, made him walk backwards, and even though he paced himself, he still got tired. And come the second round, Tony Kelly just finds that TKO finish. And breaks Randy Costa in. This is a spot where Randy Costa really needs to do some more self-reflection. I, I don't know what he's doing strength and conditioning-wise, but probably needs to step it up. And Tony Kelly um is better than I thought he was, quite honestly. Tony Kelly, um we saw how good he is on the ground against Ali al Kwasi. And uh, in this fight, his output was insane. His pressure was really good. And he found that finish against a very talented uh, striker.
1: Yeah, as you mentioned there, I thought Randy Costa was going to win this fight, heading into this one. Uh, even though, you know, that loss to uh, Adrian Yanez, he, he looked good. He, st- he look- still looked still looked good in that loss. And I thought that was a, a definitely a confidence booster for Costa, uh, even though he didn't get the, his hand raised. And I feel like in this one, he's going to go back to the wing column and get it done. I feel like he was going to get the knockout. But as you mentioned... Round one and round two, Costa is a completely different fighter. Uh, The same with Michael Chandler. Round one round two is completely different. And uh, I feel like we've got the same situation here. Uh, As you mentioned, he tried to pace himself, but he still got tired. And I feel like the pressure of Tony Kelly and backing up Costa just eventually broke Costa in this one.
0: Yeah, I don't don't, don't think Costa has the kind of uh, championship part that's necessary to compete at the highest level. But, man, I I think he's always going to put on entertaining fights, win or lose. And the same can be said for Jillian Robertson. Jillian Robertson is the most accomplished finisher in the history of the women's flyweight division. And she got it done pretty easily here. This was my pick, first round submission for Jillian Robertson. We know how bad Priscilla Cachua is on the ground. You just have to see that Valentina fight. Just just really nothing off of her back. And, uh, yeah, she's mainly just a striker, hopes to gas out her opponents and find the finish and uh, even though Jalen Robertson's not the best striker, losing the final feet actually, all she needed was one takedown, and Priscilla Cachoeira, just a very poor grappler, gave up her back, got submitted, and uh, we knew it was over when she started gouging those eyes. We knew that it was deep, and she either had to tap or nap, and she chose to tap, and Jalen Robertson got yet another submission on the record.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'd be surprised if... Uh if Dana White is probably looked at this and probably thinking that we can't have that inside the UFC, uh, we, she put, they probably keep her on, but man, it just, she's probably got a hair chance of just staying inside this idea it, it was bad. It was not once. It was twice. It was terrible. I, yeah. You don't want to see that. She was losing the fight and she tried to find a way to, 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 to just to stand the back up. And, uh, it, it was ridiculous. And then credit to Gillian Robinson for not even calling it out. Uh, she's gracious. Uh, she's, yeah. she's incredible
0: we have a, actually have a president for this uh Lee Li Jing Liang when he fought Jake Matthews stuck in a deep gee team gouges the eyes and that's actually what got him out of the geek that was actually a worse instance because it actually caused uh Jake Matthews not to get his submission win and Jake Matthews actually had to wear glasses after that that's how awful uh wow. that's how awful the math, aftermath was and as we saw Lee Li Jing Liang still on the roster so I feel like the the UFC kind of just gives you a slap on the wrist for that. So, yeah. Definitely can't happen again, though. I think Priscilla Cattu is a really low-level fighter, and maybe with another loss she gets uh, cut. But, yeah, not the best look. But uh, you know what was a good look? Derek Lewis bouncing back after his title fight loss. to gone, and he goes out there as an underdog. I don't know how this guy's an underdog yet again. When in the same year he knocks out, Curtis Blades as a plus 300-whatever underdog. And now he's an underdog to Chris Stockis. I didn't agree with it at all. We didn't do a previous show, but if we did a previous show, I would tell you to bet Derek Lewis by knockout. Because that's what he does. He's the KO king. And with this knockout of Chris Stockis in the first round, he is now at the top of the mountain when it comes to UFC knockouts. He surpasses Vitor Balfour and Matt Brown. And he did it in spectacular fashion. Chris Stockis was having uh the higher volume early in the fight, but it was very clear that with every punch that Derek Lewis landed, it just it just had bigger impact. Kinda of like the Rob Font, versus Josie Aldo finding a way. And yeah, just one bomb and Chris Dawkis went down. And I kind of felt like people were overrating Chris Dawkis, yeah. I feel like it was too much too early for Chris Dawkis here. Just one month ago, uh he was fighting Parker Porter of all people. So uh, I mean, a year ago, he was fighting Parker Porter, of all people. So I feel like it was a little too much for uh, Christakis. And Derek Lewis went out there, and it was very impressive. And this is an instance where Derek Lewis didn't need to really go through much adversity to get the win. Usually, he waits until his opponents get tired or whatever, and then he finds the the mark. And, yeah, but this time around, he just did it very quickly. And really didn't take much damage. And I think he's in a position where. If Ghan cannot get to the US. Because of a travel ban or whatever. He could get that. Francis Ngannou fight. So yeah. Crazier things have happened. Also, he's, I also think he's in a position. Where he can get the Stipe Miocic fight. Because unless Stipe wants to wait. Till December most likely. Because I think John Jones. Gets the, the winner of Ngannou Ghan In July. So. Unless Steve b wants to win, I think uh, wait. He's probably gonna have to fight Derek.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, in this fight, uh, as you mentioned, there a year ago he was fighting Parker Porter, and now he's fighting. You know, the Black Beast, Derek Lewis, uh, who's ranked what number two, number number three in the world. It's uh, yeah. definitely too soon, too quick for Chris for Chris Talkers. But this is, I feel like, this is a a blessing in disguise. um the Way it happened though, it probably won't feel good for him. You know, he, he got starched in three minutes and 33 seconds and he got put out really bad. And uh, and he, who doesn't get put out by Derek Lewis? This guy hits like an absolute truck, it's ridiculous. Uh, he, he beat you know, Park Porker, uh, Nasumento, Alexio Linick, uh, and Shamil, guys he's meant to beat, and then he came up against Derek Lewis and he was the favorite. That shows how many people like you know, thought he was going to win this fight. He was the favorite against Derrick Lewis, who challenged him for a title in his last fight. And Derrick Lewis just shot off them haters. Uh, the first round Derrick Lewis, first round Michael Chandler, it's just, guys, you don't want to fight.
0: Yeah, Derrick Lewis, when he smells blood, it, it's. I would say nine times out of ten, it's over, man. Derrick Lewis is so scary. And Chris Dawkins yeah. has a legitimate heavyweight power and. Derrick Lewis made it look like it wasn't much honestly and yeah so it's a really terrifying thing when Derrick Lewis is looking to knock you out that's what he did after it even it even put fear into the heart of Francis and Ngannou that shows you and
1: and the thing is Derrick Lewis was staying patient for about 3 minutes of this 3 minutes of his fight and then just out of nowhere just one switch that's it it's over yeah, that's that's switch. all it takes for Lewis it's yeah. just a, a little blitz
0: and that's it it's done that's why he's the KO king and, uh, yeah, really impressive performance by Derek Lewis. He kind of saved his 2021 because, man, that was a terrible ending for him in the Gun fight. He looked terrible out there. Even the knockout, he kind of had a loser's face out there. It felt like the pressure was too much. And this time, it's a complete opposite. Not only is he not in his hometown, he's in an empty arena pretty much. And, yeah, that kind of made for a good fight for Derek Lewis. And he really impressed me out there. Somebody else who impressed me on this card is Bilal Muhammad. He has the most dominant performance of anybody over uh ever over Stephen Thompson. Stephen Thompson was once uh definitely one of the best welterweights in the world. I think that time is maybe may over now quite honestly. He's now at that is he 38 39 now at this point? Yeah, yeah. It's at that point where Stephen Thompson's uh, you know, reflexes are not what they once were. But I don't I don't He used to have really good takedown defense, but I don't know what happened to it. And the Gilbert Burns fight, Gilbert was able to get those takedowns and hold them down. And Bilal Muhammad works as an analyst. So you have to be crazy if you don't think Bilal Muhammad put his analyst hat on and watched that Gilbert Burns fight and says, I can do the same. I didn't think uh, Bilal Muhammad had the kind of explosive and explosivity and the strength of Gilbert Burns to be able to do the same thing. But... It appears that he does, and he went out there and got those takedowns on Steven One for Thompson, and he did it better than Gilbert did. And Gilbert, he actually got knocked down in that second round with a wheel kick, but Bilal Muhammad really did not take much damage here and got some serious ground-and-pound going in that first round. I actually thought the ref was going to stop it in the first round because he was getting so much ground-and-pound going. And in those sec- uh, second and third rounds, it was just more of the same complete domination Bilal Muhammad is this is the this is the win I need to see from Bilal Muhammad to say that this guy really is in that top five mix because for a while later, let's be honest he he was fighting those guys he was fighting a lot of unranked guys he was fighting lean Good, good uh, Takashi Sato uh, names like that that are way out of the top fifteen and that shows that he's a real fighter he's not one of those guys that's just gonna wait for a rank guy he got the win streak going. And now he beat the number five, uh, once the number five fighter in the world, Stephen Thompson, former title chancer, went to a draw with a champion once, and he dominated him. I think Bilal Muhammad is in a wonderful spot here. I think the next fight for Bilal is a fight where the winner would 100% get like a top three guy. And I think that guy is Sean Brady.
1: Oh man, that's a, that's, a, that's a great fight. And as you mentioned there, B- Blau Mohammed is now number ranked number five in the world. He, he he's, he's definitely put himself on the map uh, with this win against uh, Stephen Thompson. So, as you man, you listen his competition there. You know, he fought to a draw against a champion that I, I don't even want to name because I don't want to bring him up because what what happened? I, yeah, I don't well, know who that man was. I don't know who he was recapping. back
0: then. Look, we're not recapping on that show. That's how sad that was. We're not even going <laughs> to talk about it. We're not going to say the names.
1: Yeah, but Bilal Muhammad winning 30-25 on one judge of score goods, that that's 2 10 eights. That That's incredible. Yeah, that just shows you how dominant he was in this fight and how good he, you know. I felt like Gilbert Burns put the blueprint out how to beat Stephen Thompson and then Bilal Mohammed just five times. It. He, he just made it look even better. He put on a better performance than Gilbert Burns. Never looked in trouble, as you mentioned. Look comfortable throughout the whole 15 minutes and uh, put on a fantastic display. And as you mentioned, yeah, I feel like his analyst uh, head came into play and he just picked him apart fantastically. And uh, it was just a great watch. And uh, ranked number five in the world now. It's a big fight next for him. I feel like it's a really big one.
0: Yeah, if it's not Sean Brady, he's actually uh, talking back and forth with Hamza Tremayb on Twitter. And he is like, even though multiple names have said, I will fight Hamza Tremayb, those fights don't get booked for whatever reason. So, uh, I don't know what's... I really don't know what the truth is, but Olam Muhammad is a guy that has shown in the past that he'll fight pretty much anybody, even if there's no real benefit to it. He just wants to get more names onto his streak, and he's on a wonderful streak. And uh, somebody else that's on a wonderful streak is Amanda Lemosh. Did I think she won this fight? Probably not. Um, um Angela Hill, the star of her career is kind of She's lost these close split decisions, and most of them I, I truly believe she won, especially the Claudia Gadela fight. The Michelle Watterson fight was completely even. You could have scored 10-10 rounds if you wanted to in that.
1: Fight. I would love, to, I would love to know Angela Hill's record. Uh, what would it be if she won them split decisions? It'd be yeah, crazy. I believe
0: it was, it was, it, it was, it was something like really good. It was something really good, but uh, I I don't know the exact numbers. But Angela Hill, uh, she was disrespected by a ton of people coming to this one i saw a lot of people um betting lamush by ko Now i was thinking angel hill has no history of a bad chain whatsoever and if you want to talk about amanda uh amanda lamush's resume heading to this one we're talking about lavinia souza who i think the way cut uh for her is terrible and her chain is she got racked by reyna marcos for goodness sake so that was kind of a gamey for lamush and then she fought Montserrat Conejo, who is a really good grappler but terrible striking defense will take all the punches necessary to close the distance and cannot eat those shots. So from those two to uh to Angela Hill, it's a really big uh it's really big gap in terms of uh striking ability. And Angela Hill showed it out there, even though she got dropped by that front kick in the first round. Lynch is just one of those rare fighters uh in the female divisions that are super aggressive and can get finishes on a consistent basis. And I thought the fight was over there, but Angela Hill showed once again that she has a fighting spirit. And uh, Lamush very obviously was tired. And Angela Hill put a pace on her that made her uncomfortable. In my opinion, she did enough to win uh, the second round. And the third round was a little close because, of course, Lamush tagged her with the front kick once again. But uh, Angela Hill landed that spinning elbow, and I think that was the difference maker here. And uh, I thought Angela did enough to win. If this was a phenomenal fight. Honestly, if you want to talk about best female fights, to be, I think this might, this is like top three easily.
1: Yeah. Angela Hill is literally the queen of being in these sort of fights. She's always in an entertaining fight. She never disappoints. Uh, but the, the one thing is she, she never does that, you know, that, that sort of enough to get that, you know, get that nod on the judge of scorecards. She's always made it competitive. She's never made it like a, a standout win, uh, that she definitely got the win. And, uh, that, that's maybe something that she needs to improve on, you know, maybe work on, is uh, maybe putting, you know, in the judges' eyes, you know, maybe that she definitely got the win. And uh, uh, I'd love to see Angela Hill, you know, make it, get a few runs uh, and maybe, you know, go up in the division. She's a fantastic fighter. Her Muay Thai is beautiful. And we saw it in the, the Luma Lukbumi fight. She outstriked Luma Lukbumi, which is incredible. Uh, and uh, Angela Hill is a, a perfectionist when it comes to striking uh, Amanda Limos. Just, just did brilliant in this fight. She done well. It was a very close fight. It could have went either way. And uh, Angela Hill, yet again, falling on a, another split decision. You just gotta feel sorry for her at this point, honestly.
0: Yeah. Even Dana White said she had done enough to win the fight, but uh, yeah, I hope she doesn't take much of a drop in the rankings after this. Um, yeah, tough loss for Angela. Uh, I was kind of expecting it in a way when I started hearing those uh, judges scored for lay motion. Yeah, sad. And also sad to see Rafael Sensau—he's not thirty-nine. He got straight up knocked out by Ricky Simone. And this is this is kind of uncharacteristic of uh, Rafael Sensau, especially in his better days. By the way, Rafael Sensau does not get the credit he deserves. Wins over Rob T.J. Dillashaw, and uh, one name is slipping my mind here. Rob T.J. Dillashaw, and Alderman Sterling. This Ooh. guy has super high quality wins but eight catches up to everybody and especially at 135 pounds where speed kills and ricky simone was the young guy had the quicker hands and rafael asensal got straight up knocked out i actually had money on this fight going a decision so yeah rafael asensal getting knocked out here was was tough to watch here i think uh retirement is not too far away from him but if you want to do uh you want to do the Frank Yeager fight for uh, Rafael, since I don't mind it. It's actually still ranked. Uh, you could also do the Frank Jagger fight for Ricky Simone. Ricky Simone, by the way, in my opinion, has been in a really tough spot because we know Way is super stacked, and it's very hard to get ranked in that division. And he was, like, two, two, three fights ago, he was having a razor-close fight with Rafael. And Rafael is now in the top five. So uh, I feel like Ricky Simone is... Uh, is ranking kind of doesn't tell the story of how good he is. And he showed up out there against uh a Santau, who is a band weight legend.
1: I think you pitched it perfectly there for Santau. Is uh maybe a next fight for him is the last fight, you know, doing doing what San's doing, you know, the last fight is the retirement fight and uh seeing it off, and maybe a fight, you know, against um Frankie Edgar. Um you still got your right of favor out there too, but I don't know what's happening with your right of favor at the moment. It's a, uh, am not sure. But that, that could definitely be a fight. Uh, Sensal just needs... To, he needs to hang up, and uh, I think it's time for him. His, his time has come. As you mentioned, he's, he's beat some incredible guys. Uh, you know, we're talking about Aljamain Sterling, uh, TJ Dillashaw. Uh, he's, he's been there, and he's done it. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, as you mentioned, age does catch up to you, and uh, Ricky Saman is the younger of the two. He um, got the job done and cracked him on that chin, and that was it. It was game over. Um just if you're a sense if you're coming up against these younger Bucks, uh, man, it's a uh, just he's not in for a good night. He's uh, I feel like he's uh, at a tail end of his career now, and uh, it's pretty much his uh, career over. Uh, but I'd like to see him have one more fight, just to maybe get a win and hang it up. That w- that would be nice.
0: Yeah, uh, you you really don't want to see a guy like a take too much damage. In his last oh. fight, he was on the receiving end of one of the most brutal <clears throat> tales in the history of this division against Cody Garbrandt. And, yeah, Asensio is not the fight he once was. I feel like if this was promised out he definitely wins the fight. But it's not the case here. Um, My pick was wrong. And uh, my next pick was actually right. Mateo Scamrock was a 2-1 to favorite against Diego Fajeda. And he definitely looked like it out there. Um, Man, this is such a fun fight to watch. Diego Fajeda, his scrambles are just so much fun to watch. He's one of the few grapplers where you really get... Out of your chair when uh, certain certain positions get switched. Because, uh, man, Diego Ferreira really is a threat down there. But the thing with Matash Gamera, he's such an excellent wrestler. And an excellent striker as well. So, Mateusz Gamrat will give promise to pretty much everybody in this division. I think Matash Gamera could even have a competitive fight with the current champion. That's how highly I think of him. In fact, I think we're looking at a 20-0 and 0 fighter here. Because his one loss is a split decision to Guram Kutelezi that even Guram thought that he had lost so i think uh, i think the well metausk camera metausk uh, is going to have a tough fight is going to have a tough time getting these high rank guys to pick him up. cuz we know we know how lightweight works these guys only want to f- the high rank guys only want to fight each other they never want to accept a fight from low rank guy um but yeah mentosh camera is on the rise He's one of the best fighters out of American Topping. He trains regularly with Hulk, both Jorge Masvidal and Dustin Poirier. And it's very clear to me that he's improving and uh, he's a threat everywhere. And he finished Diego Ferreira with a knee to the body in that second round. He simply broke Diego Ferreira and got the finish here. And he's on a tremendous run.
1: Well you mentioned there the the finish there. It was a bit of a weird ending. Uh not not too many people know what happened, but yeah, as you mentioned, that the knee to the body, perfectly legal, uh a brilliant shot, picked it perfectly. And uh Diego Ferreira, that his his rib must have cracked or, or or something. I'm not too sure what happened. I don't know whether he's released uh the the, the scanner or anything like that. Uh but it, it definitely felt like he wanted no more. It was no mass uh for Diego Freira. Who... who, who was a, ta- a good challenge for Gamera on this one. Uh, a, a good grappler could definitely well, you know, submit Gamera heading into this one. That's what I, f- I thought, you know, the possibilities that could have happened. And Gamera, as you mentioned, in his own mind, right, is a fantastic grappler, fantastic wrestler. And his scrambles are always good. They're always fun to watch. And, uh, what, what is better than that? His striking, his striking is phenomenal. This guy can do it all. He's, he's just well-rounded. And as you mentioned, he could probably give champion a very, very good fight. And, uh, I, I, we don't want to rush him, though. We want to take his time because I feel like when if we take his time and he gets to the title, he, 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 I feel like he could definitely win it. But by the time he gets to the title, there'll be someone else at the top of the throne. So.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. I think uh, Islam Mahashir would probably yep. be the guy he meets up there. But uh, I, I think then the next fight step for uh, Macau Gamrat is a guy who's really not known for turning down fights Brad Riddell. Brad could you Brad imagine Riddell. that fight,
1: though? Poland versus Russia in Russia. Oh, my God. Uh,
0: Whew. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, Tausch Gamrat versus Brad Riddle would be an absolute banger. I feel like that would be a fight where we definitely see uh Gamrat striking get tested. That would be the best striker yeah. that Gamrat's ever found in his career. So that would be the the rifle test next for Gamrat.
1: Hundred percent. Well, we're moving on to the to the next fight and uh, Cobb Swanson, Killer Cub, getting it done against uh, Darren Elkins, which, which which caught me off guard because. We've seen Dario Kings in the past taking an absolute beating and uh, being able to come back in you know, his his heart. His durability is incredible, but Cubs Wilson just didn't let him breathe. Yeah, he put the pressure on and uh, eventually got the finish. Uh, and I think at one point he looked at the ref and he was like, ref, like, come on, this is over. And then the ref stopped in and got uh, and waved off. And I thought it was a good stoppage, a rightful stoppage. Darren Elkins has always took a beating in every single one of his fights. I swear to God, and uh, he always ma- managed to find a way to get uh, to come back into the fight. But Cub Swanson just didn't let him get back into this fight. And uh, it was such a good moment to see Killer Cub to get this done.
0: Yeah, in front of his family and his three kids as well. It was a really cool moment for Cub. Cub, honestly, he's never looked better than he did in this fight. He he had his hands very low and was just picking apart Darren Elkins. And this is the fight uh, that we saw the true decline of Darren Elkins. Sure, Darren Elkins was once on a 5 fight skid, but Volkanovski was one of those losses, for goodness sake. So I was thinking uh, Elkins can still take those shots. And by the way, in in none of those uh, losses was he getting finished. But it now appears to me that he just can't receive the damage like he once did. I knew this day would come where he just can't can't make those comebacks anymore because... His, his body, body don't let him. You know, his yeah. body just quit him, and his chain is gone, honestly. And uh, Cuff Swanson straight-up punished him out there. He really uh, had no respect for Darren Elkins' striking because he knew that Darren Elkins was going to get hit. Darren Elkins, kind of the, the, the Homer Simpson of the UFC for a while. And, yeah, looked terrible out there, Darren uh, and Cuff Swanson looked great. Uh, yeah, Darren Elkins, I, I honestly don't think we'll see – five more fights in his career, honestly, because I think we're gonna see more nasty knockouts uh, from from uh from the opponents of Darren Elkin. So yeah, really sad to see. I knew this day would come. But I really feel great for Cubs Swanson because Cubs Swanson is performing so well. Will he ever be in the title mix again? No, but he's gonna be in there with so much with so much fun matchups. And I think the next one should be Charles Jordan.
1: There you go. There you have it. We're about to talk to him, uh, talk about him soon. Uh, so uh, that would be a fantastic matchup. And what performance he put on as well. But we'll get to that as uh, later later down the line. Uh, but also, Jared Murshot ladies and gentlemen, this guy is phenomenal. I love it. He had such a great twenty twenty one after a, a, la- a really bad twenty twenty, getting you know absolutely. Demolished by Hamzat Shumayev and being able to go three and zero in 2020 on this could be like comeback of uh, comeback career of the year. I don't know how to word that, but career comeback of the year. Jared Mershaw, you know, three and zero uh, and being able to put on the performance he did and uh, losing them two rounds too.
0: Yeah, Dustin Stoltz is really impressed me in this fight. I I kind of wasn't sure what kind of fighter Dustin is. Because he, he's, shown, he's shown ability to get it done on the feet and on the ground in the past. Um, but uh, in this fight, he had a very wrestle-heavy approach. And Joe he, he you know, he's the most decorated finisher in the history of the middleweight division. Then the middleweight division has been filled with killers like Vanderlei Silva, uh, Dan Henderson, Anderson Silva. Those guys don't have as many finishes, Joe Mearshart. Joe Mearshart very rarely wins via decision. And... Uh, you gotta give credit to Dustin. In those first two rounds, he was avoiding the submission attempts from Gerald Meershard, but eventually it was just too much for Dustin and uh he had to he got kind of that red naked choke and it was it was over for him. And this is uh this is not uncharacteristic with Gerald Meershard. He's faced adversity before, and somehow he gets his opponents next, and so impressed by Joe Mirchart's comeback. He got knocked up by Ian Heinish and Hamza Chemaia back to back, and now he submits. His last three opponents in 2021. Uh those wins were Makman Murdov and who else was it? It was the name is completely gone from my mind, but it was a bold high-level wrestler. Cannot remember his name. But uh this makes it three submissions in 2021 for JL Mirshark. And uh definitely a nominee for comeback fight of the year. We'll move on to Justin Taffa who became the first heavyweight in ufc history to miss weight that that's just shameful honestly he didn't look it it honestly looked to me that the guy definitely could have made weight if he wanted to but just honestly too lazy to quite honestly let's be honest and he fought harry hunsucker who has never beaten an opponent with a winning record i'll repeat that never beaten a guy with more wins than losses so um Justin Taffa actually has only win. Um has only one win over a uh, somewhat high level opponent as well in Juan Adam. So this is such a low level heavyweight fight, but I knew for a fact that Justin Tafa, when he would swing, that Hansucker could not take the damage. And even though Hansucker was doing well defensively, he actually blocked the finishing blow. It didn't matter. Cause Taffa has that kind of power in his kicks. And uh Hansucker went went to sleep and Tafa may have gotten a bonus had it not been for the witness and hopefully he never does that again because that's an easy recipe to get cut out of the UFC oh uh,
1: yes L- literally what you just said there an easy recipe T- to miss the heavyweight limit you're either not disciplined or you're lazy as you mentioned but that's yeah. the same thing really and we're seeing it he came in at 267 just a pound he, he- what he would have got, what an hour to run that off, and he, he could have done it. And as you mentioned, just laziness. Uh, but at least he's going down in history in the UFC for something, but something he's probably not proud
0: of, I guess. I guess. Uh, but yeah, terrible look out there. There, uh, and he's not even the biggest heavyweight either. He's not Greg Hardy, oh. which Greg Hardy's he's a if Brock Lesnar, if off Lesnar
1: off. made the heavyweight limit, you have no excuse,
0: exactly. It appears to be a tough. Of- probably uh had too much of a good thanksgiving um over there or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, just shame, just shame I'm just in out here missing weight at the heavyweight limit. There's been some real gargantuans that have made that heavyweight limit. Alistair Taffa makes those just looks like a dwarf compared to some of those guys like Bigfoot Silva. But mm-hmm. uh we'll move on to Melissa Gatto's third round TKO over Sejar Eubanks. You want to talk about uh, nominees for end of for uh, year-end awards? Melissa Gatto will be a nominee for most improved fight of the year. Melissa got there was very little tape on Melissa Gatto before her Victoria Leonardo fight, and the very little tape we had, she she barely even had the fundamentals down to strike. She was just somebody that would kind of pull guard, hope to get submissions, and she actually got one over Carol Hosa of all people. So uh, to see her. Now, getting two TKOs back-to-back. She broke Victoria Leonardo's arm. And then she gets a third-round body kick KO against Jar Max. That's so impressive, honestly. Because Melissa Cotto is kind of a pure grappler. And now she's out here finishing people with striking. So, that's very impressive. And Sejara, even though she's got one of the ugliest records in the whole UFC, she's still a very talented fighter. She has a win over Lauren Murphy, of all people. So, um, even though it's not... Not someone of a high quality win, it kind of is in a way. But um, Gato might just have to get a ranked opponent after this. She's looking so impressive after three hours. She's made big improvements, and uh, Sajara also missed weight on this card too. I thought she had the weight cut down, but it just it appears Sajara could get cut as well for this because it's just a terrible look. She cannot make this weight class consistently, and when she fights that band weight, she you know, she gets out-muscled
1: in certain spots. Yeah, 100% I agree with you. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, just, Eubanks is the good fighter. You know, she's, as you mentioned, that that winner of Laura Murphy, who mm-hmm. challenged for a title uh, against Shevchenko. Uh, but as you said, she didn't make weight. Uh, and when she goes up to weight, she gets out-muscled. She's too small uh, for uh, the weight division, but she's just not too big for the flow division. So she's in a weird position. She's in like a Kevin Lee sort of situation, but uh, as you mentioned, garo looked uh, absolutely phenomenal in this fight, and that kick to the body, yeah, that, that was nasty. That was a phenomenal kick. She placed it perfectly, and uh, you, you see that Eubanks wanted no more of uh, of, of It was a phenomenal kick, uh, perfectly placed as well, and uh, you love to see it, and as you mentioned, a rank, before, a rank fight on the X for garo would do nicely.
0: Yeah, I believe that uh, Gatto is definitely on the rise in this division. And somebody else that's on the rise in their division is Charles Jordan. He fought Andre Ewell, who was moving up from band and weight. Uh, and he didn't look undersized here, quite honestly. Andre Ewell's always been a big band weight. So when he moved up to feather, it wasn't exactly outsized here. But he was definitely outgunned in terms of power. Charles Jordan has ridiculous power. And I thought Duhu Choi... Uh, he's gotten several knockdowns in most of his fights. He's he's battle test about as battle tested as it gets. And um he's also had a lot of tough first rounds. Gotten rocked in first round many times. And against Andre Ewell, he did not get rocked. In fact, he won every round. In the last two rounds, were scored 10 8 by all three judges. So that shows you the kind of beating that Charles Jordan put on Andre Ewell. Andre Yule, it's it's always been the case for him. He gets worse as the fight goes on, most likely. And Charles Jordan only picks up the pace the more the fight goes, and that's what happened here. I have no idea how Andre Yule did not get finished in this fight because he took an insane amount of punishment from Charles Jordan. Just look at those numbers, 137 significant strikes. He got beat up um, from head to toe, quite honestly, here. And uh, even Charles, even though Charles Jordan didn't get a finish here, I kind of feel like he... He had the, maybe the one of the best performances of the night here against Andre Yule. He finished it off with a front kick to the stubble. He knocked him down. He went straight up beast mode in this fight, and I've never been more impressed with him.
1: Yeah, George Jordan was definitely hyped for this fight, and uh, he he's put himself in a good situation next. Uh, we put on a performance of his life, uh, a performance in, the best performance in his UFC career, hundred percent. And if you look at them last, was it the last ten seconds of the fight? George Jordan was just going ham, uh, throwing everything. Uh, I think he threw a wheel, wheel spin kick, and then he threw his body kick. And it just reminded me of um, have you watched the film Three uh, Hundred? When he like kicks him down. Um, I have yet to do it, but
0: I'm pretty sure I know about the Sparta kick.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, he goes, "This is Sparta." and He does that kick. Uh, it was phenomenal. It was, uh, it was so great to watch. Uh, Charles Jordan is uh, just put an absolute performance. Uh, the one of the best, well, the best performance I've seen in his UFC career so far, and he's put himself in such a great position to, you know, get that good, get a good matchup in the next one. I think him versus Cobb Thompson, as you mentioned uh, earlier in the show, is a phenomenal, phenomenal matchup.
0: Charles Jordan's performance on this card was one of many. In fact, there was 10 finishes on this card. That's a very impressive feat. Only two other events in modern UFC history have had more finishes. That's how crazy this card was. And we'll move on to one of those finishes. Is Raquel's finish, finish uh, with a 10-finger choke against Macy Shia-san. Uh, the only reason I had a little bit of a uh, lack of confidence in Raquel Pennington here was because this was at featherweight. Macy Shia-san's ultimate weight, which she performed so well, but he, Macy Shiasan couldn't even make it that weight. So uh, that was definitely a concern there. It definitely appeared that Macy Chieson's, uh short notice uh, definitely hurt her in this spot, quite honestly. It appears that she wasn't fully ready. Raquel Pennington definitely was. She looked really impressive out there. Uh, and this was a barn burn of a fight. That first round was awesome. Both women got tagged big time. I thought Raquel would actually finish it with body shots. Um, and the second round was more of the same, but eventually Raquel got dragged down to the floor and Raquel snatched up that neck and got that finish. I'm very impressed with Raquel Pennington here. Uh And she's, I, I can't even remember the last time we saw a 10-figure choke in the UFC. So that shows you how diverse her submissions are.
1: Was there ever one? Is this the first?
0: Honestly, I, I can't remember the last one. It, it might have been... Before 2019, quite honestly, that's mm. that's how long it's been. Um, but yeah,
1: as but you that- mentioned, Pennington put in a fantastic performance in that first round, one of the best first rounds I've, I've seen in mixed martial arts this year. Both women getting tagged, uh, both going out. It was a quite, quite a bar burner, a high pace first round and in, in that second round, uh, that guillotine choke, or the tang finger choke, uh, should we call Uh She got the job done. Uh, Pennington put on a little bit of a run as of late. Like, what's that, three wins back-to-back now? Uh, so she's looking good.
0: Yeah, I believe so. I would like to see that uh maybe uh maybe Misha the Misha Tate rematch now kind of makes ooh, sense. Like oh Misha,
1: Tate, Misha you're Tate thinking about a move down to hundred and twenty-five.
0: Oh yeah, she's she's also saying that. Um, but who knows? Maybe if that doesn't work out, we could see that. Um also she turned down the Aspen Land fight out of concern that Aspen Land will miss the weight. So
1: and then Macy yeah, I, misses.
0: I'm sure that makes uh, Aspen Aspenland really angry because they've they've had so much heat over Twitter and now they can't even settle it in the octagon from the looks of it. So yeah, unfortunate situation all around there. But what was a very fortunate situation for Dontel Mays was his finish over Josh Parisian. This is the most impressed I've been by Dontel Mays in the CFC run so far. Even in wins, he really doesn't look too impressive. It's very clear to me that he's of bottom of the barrel heavyweights, let's be honest. And he was fighting one one of his fellow bottom of the barrel heavyweights and Josh <laughs> Parisian, so I was thinking that the winner probably gets cut here. And uh, Dantel Mays, I actually thought Josh Parisian would be the better grappler, but as soon as Dantel got that first takedown and got Josh in that uh, crucifix position, I was thinking Dantel probably gets a gets a finish here, and he eventually did. Was it the most entertaining fight not really except for the for those uh, for those groin strikes right to the face i don't know what what that was but um yeah this was kind of what we expect from heavyweights once it gets to the first round it gets to very slow pace and uh thankfully we got to finish here
1: yeah it was the wrestling uh that really made a difference for don't in this one uh he literally just controlled the josh for, for for 15 minutes and uh and then he got on the mic in, in the post fight interview and called out Derek Lewis and Chris Dawkins and it, it blew my mind. I thought so I just thought, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I love the optimism, but let's slow down a little bit. Let's get back to reality. Uh, and that that was.
0: Yeah, let's not act like Rocky Martinez didn't give you a tough fight.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, it was a good, but you know, good performance. He, he went to his wrestling, got got the job done. Uh, not the most exciting fight, but man, calling out Derek Nelson and Chris Dorcas, uh, that that's a fight he does not want. Uh, but yes, yeah. Um, I, I don't know what to really say. As you mentioned, uh, heavyweights that are at the bottom of the division, and uh, definitely uh a good win to see. Don't tell me, it's just get back to get back to the winning record, winning column, uh, and using using his wrestling as well. Uh, but yeah. Go, go to the first fight of the evening as well. This it, it kind of set the pace this day. uh We got a submission. Uh, Jordan Levitt uh, getting a submission win over Matt Sales. Uh, Matt Sales, uh, uh, excuse me. Uh, he got the door, uh, job done. Jordan, what's he called? The Monkey King Leavitt. Uh Then did the splits. This guy's entertaining. Uh, it, we had Taito Barca do the shoey one week, and now we have Jordan Levitt doing the splits the other week.
0: Yeah, I'm convinced both guys are on ESC level talents because they have such huge holes in their respective uh in their respective weaknesses like uh jordan levitt striking is atrocious and matt sales ground game is atrocious so when when these two met it was truly a grappler versus striker matchup here and that's what we saw out there and uh in mixed martial arts more likely than not the grappler is gonna be the one coming out on top and that's what happened here as soon as he got those takedowns Matt Sales get up game was pretty much non existent and uh Jordan Levitt had his way with him and Matt Sales. I don't know what he was doing, engaging in grappling. And eventually we see a reverse triangle from Jordan Levitt. <laughs> and I, when's the last time that even happened, like where we actually get the submission finished. I honestly I don't even know if it's ever happened. Uh, I know I know back in Bellator it happened with Jorge, but uh, oh it, yeah. Yeah, such a rare submission. And quite honestly, I think this was a uh, this was a John Vellante, Maurice Green type, type of submission where I don't even know if it was actually in, but the guy was so gassed and so broken that he just tapped. Uh, Matt Sales ballooned up to 250, uh, so it shows he's not the most disciplined guy out there. And when he went back, then, he, he just looked truly awful in this like looked truly awful out there, looked like sluggish, looked slow. And Jordan Levitt, even though he's not the most talented fighter, he was good enough to take advantage of it and eventually find the finish.
1: Well, that's it. As you, as you mentioned there, he was just good enough uh, uh, to get the job done. Uh, and Matt Sells, as you mentioned there, ballooned up all the way to 250. Was that what you, when he wasn't fighting? or
0: Yeah. Uh, remember, he got twisted by Bryce Mitchell. That was in December of 2019, pre-pandemic. And this guy barely just made his return. So... Th- this guy definitely impacted on those quarantine pounds and yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, wow, well, so that's was, phenomenal. For him to eat, and he actually moved up a weight class. Uh oh, yeah. he was actually a featherweight fighting Breast Mitchell. And he moved up the weight class in this one. And Jordan Levitt not being the biggest uh lightweight. I thought this actually picked Matt Sales to win the fight because uh, Jordan Levitt, I, I don't think he's the most durable, not not the best striking defense, but yeah, the whole and Matt Sales ground game was just so massive.
1: Well, yeah, that that was it. That was uh, the two events, uh, the last two events of the year. We had one pay per view and then one fight night. Both both cards definitely entertained us. Uh, it was phenomenal. Uh, but some some things uh, that will you know clip up or uh, touch up on. We also had a really big event over here in, in the Europe. I don't know whether you tuned in or not, but it was KS, KSW sixty five. We had uh, Magomed Kaladov versus. You, you can keep going. Oh, we had Magomed Kaladov versus uh, soldich And, oh, my God, that was such a great card. I loved it. Magomed Kaladov over here in Europe. He's one of the legends, uh, especially over in Poland. He's, he's beloved over there, uh, over in Poland. And he uh, he he was uh, he got, got his lights put out. And it was like handing hand the torch sort of thing. Uh, Magomed handing the torch over to Soldic, who I believe we'll see in the UFC quite soon. Uh, he is now a double weight champion over in KSW. Uh, and those guys over there. When KSW put an event on, it, it just... I don't know why it feels huge. It's it's big. It, they're, they're in big arenas and there's loads of fans there. It's just it just feels massive. Uh, that was definitely the event of uh, that week for me uh, because you know it was Europe. Uh, that was the same week as um, Lewis vs Dorcas. Uh, that that was a uh, phenomenal. It's just it, it was phenomenal. A big event over there at KSW. It was also on a Friday, so that was helpful. Uh, but yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, and then obviously we have Kevin Lee signing with the UFC.
0: Yeah, Eagle FC is making big moves out here. They've signed Rashad Evans. They've signed Bigfoot Silva. And uh, I believe they're only going to sign bigger names moving forward. Also signed Henry Cejudo and Felicia Spencer for commentary positions. Um, Yeah, I believe that Eagle FC will be definitely probably will be in the fourth biggest promotion in the U.S. eventually uh, behind Bellator and the PFL. I think they're in a wonderful spot. Uh, I believe that Habib it definitely has the the funding to take this place very far, and um, if they keep on bringing in these big names, I think this will get a lot of attention. And um, that one hundred sixty five pound division is probably the most interesting thing about the whole thing, because we've seen so many uh, welterweights and lightweights state that if they would to fight, if they were to fight at that weight class. That they would be champion. So I feel like uh when Kevin Lee wins that, cha- I believe Kevin Lee probably wins that championship unless they bring in a super high level fighter. I think Kevin Lee probably wins that belt. um Yeah, I believe that we'll see a lot of fighters. Of course, if they're paid well, which appears that they are, I believe we'll see a lot of people chasing that belt.
1: Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Then we have also the, the former title challenger Cardi Guevela uh K'dayla, uh hanging it up and uh, she's retired from mma so she's no longer uh fighting in the ufc
0: yeah that's uh that was actually as a result of concussion symptoms after her uh yan Nan fight oh, wow. where she took a serious beating in that fight uh yeah she just with her brain never necessarily recovered from that um and she just said that the price was too much to pay to get back in there so uh it's we saw the same thing happen with uh, Felicia Spencer just does not want to pay the price. And when you can make money through other ways, uh, it's smart to step away, especially if you don't have that kind of hunger to, you know, really get into the title uh, mix. So smart move by her. Uh, she's got a really solid, solid legacy. She was in that title mix for a very long time in the best women's division in the UFC. Uh some of the best moments of her career are definitely the submission over Carolina Kovalevich, if you remember that. Carolina had just fought on Janjacek. It actually rocked her in that fight in New York. Um, so she had a decent amount of hype going into that fight. And Claudia Gideja just gets an easy rear naked choke over her and uh, solidifies her uh, her spot. And uh, she got that rematch against and Jacek, And that's one of the best women's title fights of all time. Where we saw Yoni on JTech face some serious adversity, something that was unfamiliar to her in most uh, of her title fights.
1: And then the last piece of news is a uh, former USC champion, heavyweight champion JDS, uh, ret- returning to face uh, Kubrak Pulev in a yeah. boxing fight at Tried Combat, uh, which is um, a not good, a not good mit- match JDS is uh this is not oh. good uh, because I'm a bo- I like boxing as so well. I like watching boxing. Yeah. Kubrak Pulev. Is still a really, really good level heavyweight boxer. Yeah. He fight, he fought before the Frank Mir fight. He fought Anthony Joshua for the world championship, and 100%. he,
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, I think the only reason Triller can justify uh booking Pulev against these MMA legends is the fact that Pulev's forty. Pulev is an older guy, but like he's still a super high level fighter. Yeah. The, yeah. the Joshua fight was not long ago. He was very clearly the. One one of the best heavy boxers in the world, and he's fighting guys. Uh, Frank Mir, by the way, that was a huge mismatch. But the the JDS fight, JDS, of course, one of the best boxers we've ever seen in the UFC. But JDS, let's be honest, he's over the hill. does not have the hand speed he once had. I think uh, he's going to get beat to the punch by Pulev quickly and get put out, and it's going to be another sad uh, knockout like it was with Frank Mir
1: yeah i agree and cuba pre has only has two losses in in boxing that's, that's vladimir that's klitschko that's and anthony joshua he's only lost exactly. two, two of the best guys in you know and boxing history and uh, it's just man it's not it's not it's it's one that i'm gonna wake up to and i'm gonna think why did that happen
0: yeah yeah i think jds will be thinking the same thing why did i sign the contract to fight yeah. one, one of the most ferocious boxers walking on the planet um JDS actually did meet with Eagle FC before he signed the contract with a, with a Triller. So uh, it appears that Triller's still dishing out the big bucks. Uh, we're also going to see Vitor Belfort fighting in the triangle Pat Dawson. on that yeah. card too. I honestly am not familiar with his opponent. Uh, but I, I hope it's not an unfavorable matchup because I don't really want to see Vitor getting knocked out at that age either.
1: It's a harder matchup than Holyfield, but it's uh, one that... I feel like he's still going to possess a little bit of trouble, but I feel like Vitor should come out on top. But, you know, I, I feel like this is where we're going to see, you know, where Vitor is uh, in his career right now. You know, he's 44 years old right now. So, yeah, so it's, it's not good. But, th- yeah. that, but going back to Rashard Evans as well, quickly, I don't want to see him come out of retirement. I, I want, yeah, I want Rashad, him to stay. R-
0: Rashad was out here losing to uh, Sam Alvey in his last couple. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a terrible look. You, if you listen to this podcast,
1: you know what we think of Sam Ali, but it's, it's... I think we may have just lost uh, Oscar there. Uh, but that pretty much wraps up the episode anyway. Uh, so thank you so much. I feel like uh, uh, this has been a, a fantastic conclusion uh, to this ep- episode. Even though if we did lose Oscar, I think his, uh, uh, his laptop or his, his computer might have just uh, turned off. Uh, so you'll hear from us next week uh so this has been a fantastic episode i thank you so much for joining us and uh we'll see you next week where we'll talk about our mma awards uh of the year, event of the year promotion of the year uh we'll talk about that good stuff and uh last of all have a merry christmas uh and we'll see you all next year and uh, next not next year not yet uh next week for the last episode of